Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. Hello, faithful listeners, and thank you for tuning in on this lovely Monday morning to the Bible Explained podcast to get your daily dose of the Bible. Today, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and finishing up this chapter today, verses 18 through 23, actually. So this is going to be a really, really interesting episode, I think. This is talking about rebellious children. So let's go ahead and read this Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 18 through 23. I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. as usual. Please feel free to go grab your cup of coffee. I think you might need it for this episode. (laughs) This is some spicy stuff today. Or if you feel like drinking a cup of tea, go ahead and grab that instead. But uh, feel free to pause the podcast while you get those things. And then let's go ahead and start reading Deuteronomy 21 verses 18 through 23. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they chasten him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city and to the gate of his place. They shall tell the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. All the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall remove the evil from among you. All of Israel shall hear and fear. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Don't defile your land, which Yahweh your God gives you for an inheritance. All right, let's talk about this whole stoning of the children thing. So it says here in verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they chasten him, will not listen to them. All right, so let's unpack that first before I continue. So this stubborn son that is being talked about here from context is definitely an older child. Like, this is not a young child. This is not even a teenager. This would be an older child. Probably a child that has not, that is still under his parents' authority. But this, from context, we know for sure this is not a young child. Because a young child cannot be a glutton or a drunkard. And probably the same thing with, like, a teenage kid. This is definitely talking about older children. But what's interesting about this is it says a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, though they chasten him. So the parents had a part to play here. This wasn't just on the child. And I want to mention that the parents needed to discipline their kid. I would guess that if the parents did not discipline their kid, then this entire law was like null and void. The parents had a part to play in all of this. They had to be good parents that would discipline their kid, that would chasten him, which is an old-fashioned word meaning discipline, and would tell him no when he needed to not do something. The parents had to actively be good parents. And you might be asking me, you might be saying, well, Jen, doesn't this uh, kind of promote parents being abusive to their kids. And I would say, no, I don't think it does. And I'll go into that more in a moment here. But these parents had to discipline their child in order for him 
to even be considered to go in front of the elders as being a rebellious son. So any parent who didn't do their job, I would guess uh, just didn't qualify at all for this law because the parents had to pay, play a part. That is clearly laid out here. And though they chasten him, he will not listen to them. So this kid had to be like overly rebellious for whatever reason, like a sociopathic young man is kind of what it sounds like here. So at this point, if this rebellious son is just like spitting in the face of either his father or his mother, which, by the way, that's clearly laid out also that it's like a family event going on here. It wasn't just the voice of the father. It had to be both the father and the mother together collectively disciplining this child and uh, trying to teach this child the right way to go. So it says, if nothing works, these parents are just at their wits end, this child is absolutely awful, then they would go to the elders, they would take their kid with them, they would put him in front of the elders, and they'd be like, look, my kid is awful. Like, he's rebellious, he's a glutton, he's stubborn, he just won't obey our voice. And that's why I think that this would have have to be an older kid, because how could a like child be a glutton and a drunkard? That doesn't make any sense. So from context, this is absolutely like an older kid that is living with his parents, taking complete and total advantage of his parents, potentially abusing his parents and uh, just being rebellious, going out and partying, being a drunkard. Uh, Honestly, being kind of sociopathic is sort of what it sounds like here. So if this was the case, the parents did their best. They disciplined their kid and nothing else worked. They would take this kid before the elders, set him down, and the elders would then have a court procession. Now, this is personally why I don't think this law was just like a law for parents that they could like abuse their children or something, because they couldn't. They first had to bring this kid before the elders, and the elders would then have to have the court procession and then decide for themselves if this if this kid was actually worthy of the death penalty. And if he was, let's just say that this kid was absolutely beyond, you know, repair, then at that point, yes, the elders would decide this kid was absolutely worthy of the death penalty. And then the rest of the, the town would gather together and stone this uh, this kid. There's actually a movie I remember years ago watching. It's called, um, I think it was called We Need We Need to Talk About Kevin. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's not very good, actually. It's it's actually fairly boring and not worth watching. But uh, the premise of the movie was that this, like, sociopath kid was born and he was just, like, a huge weirdo. And it the movie, like, goes through the challenges that the mom had to, like, deal with raising a sociopath, which is really funny because it actually shows how, like, bad at discipline the mom really was. <laughs> during the entire movie but then in the end the kid ends up like taking a bow and arrow into the school like trapping a bunch of people into the school and like shooting down and killing all of the the kids and then also his like dad and his sister I think it was I'm sorry I don't know why my mind went there but I'm just thinking about like sociopathic crazy kids and like I feel like that kid would have checked most of the boxes except for the fact that the mom like never disciplined him in the entire movie which was probably the majority of the problem with that kid. But anyway, the point is this kid in the Old Testament here 
would be worthy of the death penalty if he did not obey the voice of his mother and his father after they disciplined him. So we got to really analyze like why this law is in place. First and foremost, this is not giving parents the right to abuse their children in any way. And honestly, there are plenty of laws in the Old Testament that don't specifically condemn child abuse, but they do condemn abuse just in general. And there are plenty of verses in the Old Testament that talk about godly parents and what a godly parent would do. And of course, it never included child abuse on that list of what a godly parent would do. And then even if we look into the New Testament and at Jesus's heart towards children and how much Jesus loved children and considered, you know, the church children, you know, like we have to be like children in order to enter into God's kingdom, we can see that God cared very deeply for children. However, God also wanted to maintain the integrity of Israel by any means necessary. And if there was a kid that was going around and acting the way this kid is talked about here in Deuteronomy 21, that would not be maintaining the integrity, the moral integrity of Israel. It's really funny because as I'm getting older, (laughs) I'm still in my 20s, but as I'm getting older, I can see how youth focused the world is. Of course, when I was a youth, I didn't notice it at all because I was very self-centered, but uh, honestly, but I can see it now, like the way the, the culture is very, very focused on what the youth is doing. And the youth have a tendency to like sway the moral culture of the world. I mean, just look at it nowadays. Like the youth are, are really, the millennials and the Gen Zers are really like running things in a lot of ways and are certainly defining like the moral atmosphere, I suppose, of the West right now in many capacities. But youth have a tendency to sway other people because everyone is very youth focused, like everyone is very focused on the children and the next generation and, you know, providing for the next generation. We're focused on that. That makes sense as a culture because we want humanity to survive. So if kids like this that we just talked about in Deuteronomy were allowed to continue to do what they were doing, which was causing disobedience and causing uh, complete rebellion, drunkenness, parties, gluttony, uh, whatever else is going on with this kid, sociopathicness, um, hedonistic behavior. If these kids are allowed to continue with this, then other people would fall into that. Then there would be like a whole moral decline that begins to happen because stuff like this was allowed to be commonplace. So even though this rule of stoning your kid was literally never in Israeli history ever carried out. There's not a reported time of it, any parent ever bringing their kid to come and get stoned. It was still here because it showed that parents have the power over their children. It is not the other way around. It is not flipped. I used to work at the uh, Montessori school, which which was uh, nearby me. And let me just tell you how ridiculously horrific that school system was. It was totally led by the students. The teachers were not allowed to discipline the kids, like at all. They weren't allowed to. And I had to get out of that job real fast. I was actually laid off from it, but I was gonna quit before 
<laughs> before I got laid off. Um, and the reason I was going to quit was because I felt at times unsafe at that school because I was not allowed to at all discipline the kids. And if I did discipline the kids, if I said something, the kids would obviously, as kids do, they would push back. But there was a couple times where the kids would push back quite horrifically like I would become scared and some of these boys were towering over me and they would be like don't get in our face you know kind of thing and I was I was scared sometimes of those kids honestly I was and I was going to I was actually going to quit that job because of how bad it was and I actually know another person one of my friends who worked in a similar situation and she worked at a girl's home where it was kind of the same thing. And she also struggled and it was very, it was a very violent atmosphere. But that's the thing. If, if adults aren't given the right to discipline their kids, if they're not given the right to have the final say, then where would society be? Well, it would be exactly where it is right now because that's where society is moving to. I've been uh, watching some interesting interviews that were being done in California about the teachers in California, how 95% of the time they are in the classrooms having to discipline the kids because the kids are so disrespectful because there's no true disciplinary system happening in the schools. Even when they do discipline the kids, nothing happens. The kids don't change because... (laughs) The kids, uh, they, they know they can get away with stuff. They're, they know that everything is superficial. They're not actually really going to get in trouble. They might get, you know, the teacher telling them loudly to sit down, but that's all they're going to be disciplined by. And so you can see how, how kids nowadays are becoming increasingly disrespectful and increasingly uh, damaging to other students and to other kids and whatever else, because parents aren't allowed to have the last say anymore. So when God puts this rule in place, even though it was never carried out in Israeli history, it was still there. It was still there to remind everybody that the parent had authority over their child. That is why this rule was put in place. Parents have the authority over their kids. This would hinder rebellious kids. This would hinder uh, a war against the elderly. This would hinder damage being done to the elderly. This would hinder so many problems that we see literally happening right now in America. And am I saying that we need to like go back to the Old Testament and follow this rule now? No. (laughs) Like I've said many times on the podcast, we don't live under the Old Testament rules and laws anymore. But there is definitely something that we can take away from this, which is we should discipline kids because they're kids. They're children. And they don't know any better. And they're going to like listen to the other kid that is over there that also doesn't know anything, that thinks they know something. And it's just going to cause so many issues that we see happening today. So yes, I do think that parents should be allowed to discipline their kids. I think teachers should be allowed to discipline in the, the schools. I think that Discipline should become normalized again because we can see what happens to a society without discipline in place. 
But I think one more point is that we also shouldn't be afraid to put a stop to bad behavior in children. We shouldn't be afraid to say no. We shouldn't be afraid as parents or as teachers or anybody else that deals with with kids on a daily basis. We shouldn't be afraid to have boundaries put in place that teach the kid the right way to go. Because in the end, if you think about it, disciplining the kid is better for not just that kid, but every single kid. It is just better for children to be respectful, to be, to learn how to play well with others, to learn how to grow up and be a good member of society. It is just healthy for that kid. Having boundaries put in place as parents, not letting your kids walk all over you or be disrespectful or be rebellious towards you is your right. It is your God-given right as a parent to discipline your kids. And so don't let anybody try to scare you away from doing what you know is the right thing to do for your kid. Don't let anybody scare you. Don't, don't cave to that because in the end, as a parent... You are doing the right thing for your kid when you discipline your kid, when you tell them no, when you don't let them do things that you know is absolutely 100% terrible for them. It's not bad parenting to tell your kid no. In fact, it is awesome parenting (laughs) to tell your kid no. And I'm very, very thankful that I had parents that told me no all the time. I'm very thankful for that. That that is a gift to me from God, even though I didn't like it at the time when I was a teenager. (laughs) Now, the next thing I want to talk about here is verses 22 through 23. It says, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree. So what this is talking about is if somebody committed a, a, you know, crime so heinous that After he was killed, he was hung up on a tree because back in ancient days, something that was considered to be like absolutely appalling was if the body was like hung to be exposed to like the elements and to the birds and whatnot. That was considered like uh, worse than death, actually. That amount of humiliation after you after you died, your body not being buried in the ground. So if the Israeli people were punishing somebody so much that they decide to hang that person after they died on the tree. God says, his body shall not remain all night on the tree. You shall surely bury him the same day, which is quite interesting because, you know, that was considered like the the biggest insult in ancient culture was having your body after you died, like exposed. But God says, don't do that. Like, okay, hang him on a tree, but take him down that very same day and bury him the same day. For he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. I mean, there's so many elements of that I could get into. I think maybe one thing that God is saying is anybody who hangs on the tree is already cursed. So don't let the body hang for days and days and days because that's just going to defile the land. It's going to defile the area around you. 
You know, God was really big about, you know, bodies not being exposed too much because it causes a lot of diseases that could be part of it. And God is also saying that anybody who you do end up hanging on the tree is already accursed. So you don't have to like leave him out for multiple days. Honestly, there's something kind of like strangely merciful about this as well. God is changing a lot of the uh, cultural norms to something that is a little bit more gracious. Even though this person committed whatever heinous crime that could possibly be committed, don't hang him out on that tree overnight, bury him the same day. Which is kind of interesting because at a certain point, is it even worth it to hang this guy on the tree? If you can't like hang him for you know, multiple days, it's probably not even worth it. It's probably better to just bury him quickly because you'd have to anyway. And so God says, don't defile your land, which Yahweh or God gives you for an inheritance. So hanging that body up there for however extended period of time was defiling the land. And God was very big about keeping the land that he lived in holy and pure. Now, of course, this is also an analogy of Jesus hanging on the tree where the Israelites actually took him down very quickly off of the tree because the Passover was happening and the Sabbath was happening. And so they didn't want the bodies to be on the tree for a long period of time. That's why we see Jesus's body getting taken down off the tree before the sun sets. And yes, Jesus was in fact cursed. He was cursed while he was hanging up on that tree. He was cursed in our place. So anybody who hangs on the tree is a curse of God, which is quite interesting and almost like a foreshadowing of uh, Jesus taking our punishment for us. Well, faithful listeners, I hope you learned something today in this episode. I hope you grabbed that cup of coffee and enjoyed that also. But if you would like to support the uh, Bible Explained podcast, I actually have my bumper stickers available now. They are available in my shop for $6 right now. And what you get is you get a bumper sticker for your car and then you get a three inch round sticker that you can place anywhere else. And they're actually quite nice. I have them here in front of me and uh, they're very, very nice stickers. So consider getting yourself a $6 uh, bumper sticker pack. And that includes shipping and also tax. Support the Bible Explained podcast in that way, if you would like to. But also another way you can support the podcast is just by uh, sharing it, liking it, and writing a little review on Apple Podcasts. That's an excellent way also to uh, support this ministry. But faithful listeners, I am so appreciative that you are here. And I hope that you have a fantastic Monday. I will see you guys tomorrow for an episode out of John and happy listening and God bless. Bye.